Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kamura. Hey, everyone. I almost want to say Brian, but John Epperson. Hey, everybody. I'll fix my name. Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And before we get going too far, if you want to talk to me about where you're going with your career, whether you feel like you're on track, you can set up a 20-minute call at devchat.tv slash next level. Do you wish you were better known in the programming community? Want to make a difference by speaking at conferences, writing books, or contributing to open source? Let me help. I'm starting a program to help developers move up in their careers using proven techniques and by starting a podcast in order to advance. Right now, I'm only scheduling calls to see where you're at, where you want to go, and how we can get you there. There's no sales pitch involved. You can schedule the call at devchat.tv slash next level. But let's, let's go ahead and dive in. I think I proposed this topic because I feel like authorization in Rails is garbage and I'm tired of garbage and garbage uh, plugins that don't do what I want them to. So I guess they're not garbage. They're just oversimplified is generally what I found. And I've tried. Well, I think it's, before we go forward, I think it's unfair to say that authorization in Rails is garbage because it doesn't really exist. We have to build it in or use a library for it. So there's no baked in solution. That's fair. I think my issue is, is like, if I think that there are two issues. One is, is that they kind of focus on the controller. So they kind of rely on the controller to kind of say you can or can't see this. You Sometimes they'll make it so you can re- remove a view or a part of a view or things like that. But the problem I found is like when I try and get granular on anything, it, it just doesn't quite work out right. So I've and I've seen other solutions. I watched a solution that Dave put together and kind of tailored it to my own stuff on Drifting Ruby and I, I don't know what episode that was, Dave, but I bet you can put a link in the show notes. But yeah, it was where you were basically hiding and showing and disabling the ability to edit certain fields across all of the instances of a particular model. And for me, what I've been building or trying to build lately is podcast solution, right? And so I want to give people individual permissions on podcast episodes, on on podcasts themselves, on RSS feeds, on, you know... And and so I needed it to be more granular than that. And like maintaining a big long list of all of the permissions and then trying to jockey that around didn't work. The way that Pundit kind of set things up, I just kind of fought it for a couple hours and then gave up. And can 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 I found was just way too simple for it. So that that's where my assertion came from. Gotcha. I actually have been a big fan of Pundit ever since it came out. Uh, when Pundit came out, there were there were some, it wasn't able to do certain things. And I had a buddy of mine created something called Canner, which I used on like an app or two. And the big thing that it provided was, hey, I don't just need to know something about the user. I also need to know about something else. And it, in my buddy's cases, because he, he had like a location kind of thing, sort of like a multi-tenant type idea um, that he needed to handle or whatever. But Pundit now handles that fairly easily. So I've had no problem going back to Pundit for like everything. But I mean, the thing with Pundit over CanCanCan is, or CanCan basically or whatever, you know, CanCanCan is just the modern library version of it. I always felt like, because, so they're, they're two different authorization schemes, right? So Pundit basically is like, is like the dude coming. All right. So the analogy, I guess I feel like I use is you have you have a building and you're trying to decide if people can get in the building or not, right? And the, the question is, do you have like a security guard at like the front gate 
who like I hand my ID to and then he looks at a list and decides what I can do? Or do I have like an RFID chip that has like a list of all my permissions in it? And so I hand him my RFID chip and then he, you know, he just checks, am I allowed to enter the building or not? And the RFID chip has it, right? So I feel like CanCan is more like I know and own my abilities and I come to the door you know, and I tell the guard what I can and can't do. Whereas pundits more or less designed to be like, I come to the door and here's my ID card. It just says, my name is John. And then pundit handles like looking up and finding if I can do everything. And that's actually, I I found that like pundit ends up being a lot more powerful that way because you can control so many more things. The trade-off for pundit is that you have to kind of change your thinking and you have to you have to wrap your head around policies, which are a very different thing than CanCan's list of permissions. That's been my the last, take. The last time I used CanCan, it was many, many years ago, back before CanCanCan existed. And the issue that I had with it was the ability.rb file. You basically start out with your permissions and things looked really good and clear. But then as your application grew, as you added in more features, you just had this one massive ability RB file. And yeah, we could have refactored it and split things out and put them into their own place. But back then, you know, fat controllers, fat models, fat everything was kind of like the de facto way of doing stuff. So the ability file got to be just unmanageable. (laughs) Yep. I really liked Pundit when it came out because Pundit basically solved that issue where you basically now have a separate file for each controller and each controller has a method, whether, you know, your different actions. And so you had a corresponding questionable action name within your Pundit policy. And that's basically just how you do your checks. Does this person have access or authorization to do this one action. But my issue with Pundit, and I think where Pundit really fails and where Chuck alluded to, where a solution doesn't really exist, is if you need more granular access restrictions, not to the action of a controller that someone can do, but the actual model attributes to say, this person can edit their own first name, but this person cannot edit their first name. And that's where you have to build a bit more of a homebrewed solution to actually get those. And as complicated as it may seem, it's actually a lot easier than what the actual task at hand may sound like. Because Rails has provided us a framework for handling the attribute level access with the permitted parameters. So on any kind of controller that you generate via a scaffold, you will have down at the bottom a user params or post params method that is really just a hash of what is being allowed through. And you can modify that to be a plain old Ruby object that you instantiate instead. And then you can inject in whatever attributes that particular person has access to. And I usually get those lists of attributes via something like a security profile or a policy profile, which a user would has one security profile. 
and the security profile would belong to many users. And from there, you could either do a solution where you have a, a polymorphic association to the actual model and attributes or something else that you would then just list out what permissions for this particular model does this user have access to and then just insert it into that plain old Ruby object. So uh, before we get too far down the road, I want to make sure that like I jump in here and say something before all the people that use Pundit a lot or get too upset or whatever. There actually is a solution for this that's native to Pundit. And I, I don't think it's new because I've used it on many projects or whatever. You can actually, in your policy, you can handle which attributes a user can edit and which they can't. And uh, I'll, we, we'll have the link in the show notes or whatever, but it looks a lot like strong parameters does. Has a, it, it's pretty, it's fairly easy to use. You can, I, I, okay. Easy to use. Is, is not really a fair thing to say. I feel like, because the same thing applies here that I think applies to the rest of Pundit, which is Pundit tries really hard to kind of like break every aspect of, of this authorization thing like out into different pieces. And so I think you have to wrap your head around like multiple pieces. You have the piece, right, that determines whether or not I have permissions to do a specific action or not. You have this parameters piece, right? You have... Um, it, you have context. So if uh, if I need, for example, like I was talking about earlier, if I have like a multi-tenant type app, right? So, or a subdomain app, right? And maybe you have permissions on one subdomain, but not on another subdomain. Um, then I have to pass context in. I don't just need the user and the record. I need the user plus the record plus maybe what subdomain you're on or something, right? Like if that's the determination. So there's a context uh, there's context that you have to deal with, and as you, the, it, from my perspective, like the downside to pundit that I see is that it is complicated because there's a lot of pieces to wrap your head around, and each one handles a different thing. And I think that people typically, in my experience, like people that I've worked with, they typically understand the basic, you know, okay, I have a, um. Uh, I have a show method on my controller and there's a show method in my pundit file. And that that's simplistic. Okay, this user has permission to go to the show method. That's fine. But I feel like people really don't seem to go past that very easily. And I don't know if that's pundit's documentation or or what exactly. But in my experience, like, I don't know, like two out of 10 developers that I've worked with that are working on an app that has pundit in it are our understanding like all those other things. It just has always seemed to me to be like one of those stumbling blocks for people. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, for me, what I was looking at was I was setting up a podcast, right? And I want to add somebody with a role on the podcast. But that role also needs to then extend any episodes that belong to the podcast. And, you know, depending on the role on the podcast, you may be able to do certain things on the episode. And so it turned into this policy file where I'm jockeying all this stuff around. And instead, what I found was that I, I could put some of this stuff into the model and I could put some of this stuff into something that looks kind of like a policy file. And without all the ceremony, I could get most of what I needed. And so anyway, it, it, it turned out I kind of did something that's sort of a hybrid of some of the stuff we're talking about here. But yeah, it, it's not so focused on the controller action it kind of sits a level below that. 
And and that's where I ran into problems is because Pundit ties very tightly to the controller implementation. And I was trying to think of it as at a different level. And so it just didn't always jive. And so I'd wind up having to create these extra loops, I felt like, in order to get it to do what I wanted. And strong parameters solve some of these issues, like you said, but it's not always just changing these fields. It's actually affecting behavior, you know, all the way up and down the stack. And so it sits somewhere between that model and the controller implementation to be something just a little bit different. And I do like Pundit's strong parameters implementation. I think for the most part, if you have very simple permissions where you'll never have more than maybe two or three kind of roles, then that could be a viable solution to handling a more granular attribute level list of control. However, I think if you are building any kind of application that is more complicated than just a two or three different kind of roles, then you're going to start running into a lot more issues because what if you have now a fourth person who you've deemed needs a combination of those two roles that have a bit more escalated privileges, then you're going to run into situations where you don't make code changes in just one little area, but you're now going to have to go through a lot of your application to actually implement this new feature. So I think on simple applications, you know, stick with, especially if you're already using Pundit, stick with the strong parameters feature that Pundit offers. But if you are having something a bit more complicated where someone could ever need a little bit more privileges, but not too much, then I think we're kind of back at the drawing board with having a more homebrewed solution. Right. So I'm, I'm a little curious, Dave, what, what does your homebrewed solution look like then? Like, where, where do you go from Pundit? So I basically will keep, and this is speaking for a larger multi-tenant application that has a lot of different types of people. So let's say if you have in the space of a larger application, you have your admin user who has just blanket full access to that one scope of your organization or company, but then you might have managers. Well, a manager will will have access over people, but then you have different kinds of managers. You might have a direct manager, but that direct manager should not be able to edit or see the person's social security number. But they would be able to edit or change the last name of the person or the preferred name. But then you have more of a shift-level supervisor that cannot edit any of those things, but they can see their first and last name. And then you might later down the road create a new position for another kind of user that maybe can only see the first name and the first initial or the last name. So in these kind of situations where you have this ever-growing complexity of dynamic authorization, I think the homebrewed solution would be to have a policy profile or a security profile that belongs to a user. So each user would has one security profile and you would have a list of security profiles that is available to that particular company. So that way the administrator of the company or whomever can go in, create a new security profile or clone one from another record and then start going in to say, 
we want this attribute to be view only, or we want this attribute to be view and edit, or we want this attribute to be no access. And so here, you can then just mass assign these profiles to all the users, or you can set up a default. So any new user coming into your organization would inherit this security profile. And that way, you can start from the least privileged level of access and then grant upwards to whatever they need to have for their job title. So I love that you bring up the fact of the thing of security profiles. It kind of sounds like what we're getting into is actually completely separate from CanCan and Pundit here. I'm sorry, it's separate from Pundit and it overlaps a little bit with CanCan. So, and that's the distinction between does my user have a role or do my, does my user have a set of permissions, right? And in your case, what you're talking about is when I added a user, I took a role and I used it as sort of a template and I smashed, you know, my permissions onto the user. Or maybe I, I have a mixture of both, right? Like where I give my user roles and then maybe they have permissions that override it, right? And and I feel like... so. This is you, what I was thinking too, right? And and this is where it started to fall apart for me was I was trying to create roles. I was specifically and deliberately trying to create roles. Yeah, and Pundit doesn't handle <laughs> roles like at all, right? Like that's not what Pundit does. If you, if you want Somebody to... Somebody sold that, it to me that way. <laughs> What's up? Somebody sold it to me that way. I think oh, that yeah, was part yeah. so of my Pundit problem. doesn't handle roles. I mean, you still have to implement roles. You either have to, you have to implement some, you know, is admin method, right? On your user mm-hmm. class, you know, or something, right? Or you use Rollify, you know, if you're just like trying to get something quick out of the box, right? But if you want, if you want like access, access level permissions or whatever, right, you got to implement that somehow, whether you have like, I mean, a really simplistic solution that I've used, right, is to use Rollify for roles and then uh, set up like JSON, you know, just because I use Postgres for everything, right? Just have a JSON field that has like all my specific permissions if I need overrides or something, but not but none of those things are actually handled by Pundit. Pundit just handles the the sort of ferrying between like, okay, well, I have this data in my database that says, you know, that I'm supposed to be able to access this attribute, right, on this object. And I want a consistent interface, right, to be able to ask whether or not a user is able to do a thing or not. And Pundit's just providing the consistent interface. And it's creating a space in your app for where you can place the, hey, uh, user dot permissions, you know, and check and see whether or not that permissions hash, you know, contains the thing that I wanted to have, you know. So like I, I feel like one of the issues that that I see all the time in authorization discussions is that, I mean, how many times do people confuse the word authentication with authorization, right? Like all the time. Like we, we, uh, I don't know why it is that we struggle with this language so much, but, but it definitely is, I think, hard. People not saying that people can't do it. I'm just saying, I think this is a hard thing. And I think that confusion is common or, or like conflating two terms or misunderstanding people. And I think that actually, in my, in my opinion, I can't, I can't tell you how many discussions that I've had with like my peers where we're just like in planning or something. And we're just discussing like, authorizations and then you know we've been discussing it for like 10 minutes and then all of a sudden like one of us just shuts off somehow you know and and then we get derailed right because we're now not understanding each other and discussing this thing and then we make decisions during that time sometimes we hate our decisions afterwards right like i just think this is a hard thing to talk about in general 
Yeah, I agree. It's interesting though, because you you brought up the Jason field in Postgres, and I'm using Postgres too, and it didn't even occur to me. But I was going through and creating these granular permissions. And after I added like the 12th or 13th column on my permissions model, I'm like, this is stupid, right? This is can can in the database. Uh, and, and I didn't I didn't want uh, that either. And so I wound up what I wound up doing was actually splitting it out. So I had like podcast permissions and you know, or pot, you know, essentially it was it was a broader thing than that, right? So it was like, you know, can create episode and you know, can you know, episode admin kind of thing, right? And so then I only had like five or six on there, right? Um, and then I could create a role that, you know, connected people to each of those kinds of permissions. But yeah, I'm really liking the JSON idea. But yeah, you know, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to tie something that's easily, easy to encapsulate in one idea, right? Like super admin or podcast editor in my case, right? Or podcast show notes writer or podcast guest or podcast host, right? I want to encapsulate that. And then just automatically when I say John is a podcast host, it opens all the doors for you that you should have open. And it does it in a seamless way to where you don't feel like you're missing any of the super admin stuff that I'm seeing because I'm dealing with all of the production stuff that you don't have to think about. The one thing I will say about using a JSON column or HStore or anything like that is you could run into a situation where if you have someone who has the ability to modify that column, so typically maybe a user cannot modify that column themselves, but their manager can change what permissions they have, you could maybe accidentally escalate the level of permissions that someone should have. Because doing a more JSON column key value restrictions, I think adds a a lot of different levels of complexity to the app. Yeah, you or have at least to move, in that one area. Yeah, you have to move your granular like can can their manager right edit this field. You have to move all those rules out of your database into your app at that point, right? And you certainly yeah. can't let them directly edit the field if you're concerned about that, right? But yeah, you do have to build up, if you go that route, you do have to build up something that handles, can this person edit this particular permission? Yeah, that said, I just want to point out that I think we're having a real conversation around, I I guess I'm calling out the meta conversation of what pain are you willing to tolerate or what trade-offs are you willing to make, right? Because all of these different things, they, they do some things really, really well, right? And so that's where we're talking about, oh, well, Pundit actually has this other feature that does this other thing. And under these circumstances, it works really, really nicely. And then we dive into, okay, but I've got this other pain that's not solved by it or this pain that it it won't solve well at all. And so I think I just want to remind people that, you know, your solution is going to look different from my solution. And at the end of the day, you've got to make the calls that are going to be the least painful for you and you may have to try a few of them and then see which one really pays off yeah and to a point that you made earlier chuck about having a different column within this security table for each attribute of each model that you're going to be working with that works and it actually works surprisingly well until your application grows Mm -hmm. user base wise, you get a lot of users and now you need to add a new feature or a new attribute. 
and you had to make a migration against the security table, which could be millions of records or something at this point. And then you were locking your tables and you're going to have some potential downtime. And that's just going to be a bad user experience. So one thing that I kind of think about these kind of permissions is that my code base is going to change as I add new features. So I could have something that gets checked into my Git repository or version control that is also building out this list of what attributes do I need to allow my users to say that they have access to or not. And so in the episode that you mentioned that I had done on dynamic role management, I think episode 247, that's where I basically had a file that I basically created a large hash of all of the different permissions and the models or attributes that someone should have along with default values. So maintaining this one file as your main permissions file, and then you have a very simple table, which you basically allow users to read in this file. So you're building the view off of this large hash. Then from there, they can just easily update a single table with only a couple of columns that you're actually storing that data that you're selecting for each user. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I threw a monkey wrench in that too when I tried to add roles in the middle of that. I mean, roles is a common common yep. thing that people are dealing with, right? I mean, I think that everyone thinks they want permissions, right? Because they're like, well, I need this granular ability to like give stuff, you know, to give permissions to people. And then almost always, right, you start down that road and then you quickly realize, actually, most people are within a small subset of roles, right? Occasionally, I have I have to break that, but but usually, like you know, admins or admins, you know, or you know, this particular kind of admin that's administrating this type of thing, right? They typically have the same set of permissions. So it would be really nice if I could just give you know the new person that I hired the same pers- permissions as the last person, and then you're in the realm of roles again. So, well, I I I like to have my cake and eat it too a lot. Uh, so. <laughs> That's why I, uh, I, I'm i a big fan of like having both roles and permissions at the same time. But I, I do find that like on almost every project that I've worked on, even when we started out doing permissions, we, we came up with some sort of idea of templates later and or we moved or we migrated to roles. So I, I don't think that it is necessarily a wrench. I think that's a normal thing that you have to talk about. Yeah, and I think yeah. sometimes you basically if you're building a multi-tenant application, you just make the user deal with, no, you have these three different roles to choose from. Where do your employees or users fit into these? And then you don't have anything beyond that. You know, that's not unheard of either. It's kind of annoying and maybe limits what you can do on your application, but it's easier. It's a lot easier to manage code base-wise than having a more granular definition. But if your application is not multi-tenant, so everyone who signs up is at the same level, then you're probably not going to need this kind of granular level of permissions. And I think that it's only when you go to a true multi-tenant application where each user belongs to an organization within that application, will you actually maybe, maybe 
need a more granular level definitions of what people can access. Yeah. And just to, to pile on here, because I have a question related to that, Dave. So yeah, what I did with my application is I just said, look, these are the roles that are available, right? And then if somebody wants something different, and you can assign multiple roles within an organization to the same user. But yeah, that was another thing that I ran into was trying to manage. Because let's say somebody is a podcast editor in my system, right? I'd like to open this up to other podcasters. So they may also be a podcast editor in their organization or on their shows, right? And so then it's managing and balancing those roles and permissions across the different orgs, as well as across, you know, anything else that they have access to. So that that was another thing that I think complicated this was just trying to keep straight in my head. Okay, well, what if they're an editor over here and an admin over there and a, you know, a manager over here? And how do I work that so that when they're working in one, in one part of the system, they have the right permissions. And when they work in the other part of the system, they work in the other thing, right? And so then it's, do I make them change orgs when they're, you know, so when they're working on my stuff, they're in the devchat.tv org. And when they're working on, I don't know, maybe they work for Drifting Ruby, right? And so do I make them switch orgs? Or does it all show up in the same dashboard? And the permissions are just kind of dynamically managed you know, at the controller and view level as well so that they can see what they can see. I don't know. Yeah, I was building a similar application for a video-based LMS. So basically, you could have your own Drift and Ruby site that you Mm -hmm. could have users subscribe to and tell you implementing Stripe uh, Marketplace along with those level of permissions where you might have one customer that's subscribed to devchat.tv, but they're not subscribed to Drift and Ruby and then limiting their permissions there, but requiring them to have one login or would they have multiple logins? Right. So, you know, things definitely get really crazy. And I think at a higher level, it's a business decision. So if Mm -hmm. someone signs up on your platform, whether they know it's your platform or not, Do they need to create another account? Or when someone signs up, are they even associated to a particular account? So now you're becoming a authentication provider for your own applications. Right. And in my case, what I envision, just to give you an idea of what I kind of envision for this, is I want it to be a management tool for podcasts, right? So you can, and I kind of want it to be an all in one tool. So eventually I want it to, you know, you set up where you want shares to go on social media and it'll do all that work. And, you know, it'll post to your website and, you know, your editor can get in and see what they need to have access to so that they can work on their stuff. And so then I have this marketplace idea, right? So you can actually hire editors on our system, right? You can hire show notes people on our system that are doing it for other people. And so I don't want to make those people sign in multiple times, depending on the org, right? But I also don't want it to be, uh, okay, well, I've got to switch orgs to do my work here, and I got to switch orgs to do my work here, and I got to switch orgs to do my work here. But at the same time, I could kind of see them just working down a to-do list, right? That kind of crosses the organizational stuff. And then when you go to do the next to-do list, it switches the org for you or something like that, right? Where it's not so in your face or in the way 
for you to get the work done. And so yeah, anyway, it's it's those kinds of trade-offs, right? Where do I make it seamless or do I just make it so it's painless or mostly painless? Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it. The only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at rubyrogues.com slash Raygun. So this kind of thing is actually a fair, like I've done this like in multiple different projects in different ways, right? Some projects relied on you switching orgs in order to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. And some projects basically said, you know what? The truth is that I know what your permissions are, right? So I know what orgs yeah. to scope you to. And therefore I can pull down, you know, if I'm on the, uh, I don't know, the, uh, I guess this is podcast, right? So if I'm on the podcasts to edit controller, whatever that is, right? I'll just pull down all the podcasts to edit that yeah. are scoped to organizations that you have permissions to edit on, right? That, you know, and, and that can get difficult if you do it by hand, you know, um, I actually, I'm a huge fan of how Pundit handles this here, right? Like, so it gives you a, uh, a mechanism to help you scope things and find things. That's actually one of, one of the, the highlights for me of Pundit is just making that a lot easier because I feel like this kind of problem that we're talking about right now is one, really common. And two, if you go do this a bunch of times throughout your app, people like implement these things in different ways, you know, either because it's the same person doing it on a different day, you know, or or just because you have multiple people working on it. So I just, I like the fact that uh, Pundit helps to make that consistent. But, so that's my, my Pundit plug. The point is <laughs> that this actually is a pretty common problem. There are a few different yeah. solutions out there to, to help you with that. Yeah. And, you know, for your particular use case, Chuck, I think it's also a question of the subscription model. So mm -hmm. a editor who is editing on one application, but then is also working on another one, maybe as the host, what would that billing model look like? Because, yeah. and kind of where I'm going with this, especially if you have JavaScript jabbers and then Ruby rogues, and then your other ones, uh, other podcasts as separate organizations or entities within this application, are they going to be multiple users or are they going to be one user account? So kind right. of what I'm thinking of is something like Slack, for instance, where I have one quote user account to Slack or I have one email address for Slack that I then have different user accounts for each different Slack workspace that I belong mm -hmm. to. As a human, I would want to pay one $9 a month to unlock messages for all of my workspaces that I that I'm on. Mm -hmm. 
and someone else on those other workspaces does not pay, then they don't get to see all the history. But if I'm on 10 different workspaces, then would you really expect me to pay $9 a month for each one of those? So the billing model that they have is more at the each workspace is its own entity mm-hmm. that you have to pay for every user within that workspace or every active user. So yeah, and that's the billing model that I've been looking at. But I think we're straying into business too. But it's worth considering, right? Because because it is part of the discussion that we have as far as how the functionality goes. Yeah, yeah your, I think your functionality will flow from that business choice. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So on the one hand, is you know all the the what's and why's I would set that up. Yeah, that's a business decision. But yeah, setting things up that way, you know, it, it boils directly into the technical decisions and the design. Yeah, decisions. it really will dictate your workflow and how you build it. Yep. The tools are there to build either workflow. You you have to pick the workflow first. And yep. I would say that's probably where a lot of people get into trouble. It's one, they're not thinking of security first. They are uh-huh. just kind of diving into things and they try to staple it on afterwards. And I think within your application, so we're not just talking about the OWASP top 10 security things, but more of defects that you're introducing into your own application that are security issues, like the whole GitHub permission thing that happened several years ago with the whitelisted attribute admin. So they didn't really think that through back then. But I think that's something that a lot of times we don't think of. We try to attach it at the end and we get into trouble because had we had the foresight to think about, okay, this is our business model. And from there, we need to talk about the permissions and the security at the application level. And then we can get into the features. I think a lot of times we get into the features, we ask about the business model, and then we go with the security. And that's where we introduce a lot of potential security risks in our application, as well as having some really jacked up permission scheme. Yeah, the the other thing that I'll call out here is that, um, and this is something that I've seen recently with uh, my full-time job, is that we are moving we're moving our authentication from an older system that's out of date and unmaintainable to a newer system, right? And what's interesting is that a lot of the conversation has been sort of this feeling each other out from a technical end and from a project management end and a management end and a business end as far as what's actually possible from every side, right? Because the business worry about regulatory things and security things and privacy things and you know the technical end we're we're trying to figure out how what we can do fits into that and what options we have right and the pms trying to figure out how to get it done within the the amount of time that they want it done in and how to you know make the stakeholders happy and all this stuff and so a lot of times you wind up kind of in the middle of this conversation where nobody really wants to commit to anything until they know where everybody else can kind of come in and play in the sandbox. And it's not because it's adversarial. It's just because everybody has different concerns and we don't necessarily want to step on each other's toes. And we also don't want to uh, create artificial um, 
restrictions on what they're going to do if there's a better solution that they could come up with. And so you wind up in this weird place having the conversations about this stuff. Yeah. And that's where people just need to stand up for themselves. I'm sorry, you know, so true. If it it really boils down to, do you want it done good? Do you want it done faster? Do you want it done cheap? You can pick two of those. And if you don't have any kind of pushback, you might have upper management saying, I want this done now. I want it done cheap and I want it done fast. Mm -hmm. And then you have the project manager or the product owner who is not pushing back to say, well, what do you want? Because you're asking for all three of these things. You're only going to get two of them. So you need to prioritize what's more important. And we get into those situations where no one stands up for themselves or their teams. And then ultimately, all the pressure comes down to the actual developers. And then we experience burnout we rush things through. We break a lot of best practices just because we're now under a huge time crunch. So tests go out the window. It's a mess. Yeah. Well, for us, that wasn't necessarily the problem of us standing up for ourselves. Um, I'm not shy and the other developers I work with aren't shy either. What it really boiled down to was just understanding the scope of the problem as well, right? So... um, this app has been out there for a while. It has a lot of people using it. It brings in a good deal of money. I will say that I work for a fairly large multinational corporation. And so as far as wanting it done cheap, I mean, their their highest concern is having it done in a way that doesn't expose them to any kind of risk. And so mostly it's just do it right. But, you know, we had to kind of talk around the different concerns because we didn't understand the concerns from everybody else. And so it's, you know, because the first pushback was, well, let's just set up authentication authorization on the other app, on the new app, right? Um, We'll make it so it works seamlessly between the two apps because right now they're sharing functionality. And then you can have the customer support team just walk everybody through migrating. And, you know, and that's where we got the pushback. Well, that's not really an option for these reasons. Okay, well, what about this other, you know? And so that was where the back and forth came. But you have to have that conversation and you have to have the back and forth and the pushback, as you said, Dave, so that people can really understand what, you know, where the where the lines are, right? We It's gray over here. It's bright white over here. So let's try and stay as bright white as we can. Okay, but for us, it means that, you know, we're going to have to do this extra infrastructure work. And is that worth it? And, you know, and so you start discussing trade-offs again. Yeah. And over time, enough trade-offs have been had and then you get Equifax. (laughs) Yeah. I I think one of the things that you're bringing up here, right, is when too many decisions, right, get pushed down to people that don't understand the context, even even in the case where you have developers that are pushing back, that are trying to understand the context. If your business process is to push those decisions down and wait for the developer to push back, you're going to have, you know, cases where stuff just, you know, a developer just doesn't think about a particular thing, right? Like if if you're not handling like any detail before it gets to the developer, developer's gonna make a best decision, right? They're gonna make a trade-off that makes sense. And then you know, that may not always line up with the business. I, I think, I mean, one of the, 
one of the issues that I've run into many times in my career is an issue of project managers basically not doing not doing preliminary work, right? Um, and you know they're just like, well, you know, do the best you can, right? Or there's all mm-hmm. sorts of like catchphrases that basically means I didn't handle this portion, just do what you think is right. And then at the end of the day, right? Like what happens when somebody else disagrees? Well, who, well, our developers just like made a decision on their own, right? But like you were set up for failure in the first place. Like we, uh, you know, we, we don't have good discussions and, and good, I don't know, processes around this stuff. I feel like as a whole in the industry, there's plenty of cases where people just get set up for failure. You know, they just don't notice it happening. And, and then people, you know, the favorite thing that people love to say is some developer just did this, right? Like people just love to blame developers when it was almost always the problem started before the developer even ever began coding by just people not making decisions on things that they really could have or not doing homework or other other things that could have been planned out. Yeah, I, I have two things to say to that. One is, is that, I mean, the folks that I work with do a pretty good job, but avoiding some of those issues, John. But um, the thing that comes up probably as most often is that the stakeholders and the PM don't have the depth of technical knowledge to know where it it, is possible for us to go. And so that's our job is to communicate that back up and then make sure we understand their concerns. Yeah, but chances are they do have domain knowledge. They have some, Which if they had just shared that, then that would have helped us with the direction. I had one. Yeah, manager, but they don't always know what matters to us. It, yeah, it also yes. sounds like they don't have a technical voice in there, right? Yeah. Like maybe, like if this is a repeated, I, I get it. If it's a one-off, right? Like there's a yeah. complete difference between like, hey, we we totally messed up this one time, and hey, we repeatedly make this mistake. If this is a repeated mistake, and they're not bringing a technical voice in, just saying. Yeah, fair. Sorry, yeah. Dave, I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, no, it's all right. So I had this uh, manager one time where they were infamously would tell me on a new feature, just make it awesome. That was like their one guideline criteria, just make it awesome. (laughs) Unfortunately, I I need to get out my awesome stick and measure what I did. (laughs) Yeah, well, they also didn't believe in scrum or any kind of agile methodology (laughs) just new feature new feature new feature well we need to make sure that we are getting test coverage well you test it in the browser don't you that's good enough (laughs) so i had clients like that yeah and ultimately you could spit out an application that quote looks awesome and works it's not maintainable you're not going to be able to support it long term come back several years ago, you try to upgrade Rails because you had to throw in a hundred different gems to quickly accomplish what you were being asked of. You're not going to be able to do that. So now you have security problems. Yep. So push back is all I'm saying. So uh, no, I, that totally right. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think that we want I, I don't think our intention here, mine for sure, and I don't think you guys either, is to like bash PMs. Um but uh, I, I do think that we don't have um, good discussions around this, right? Like, uh, I think there's lots of cases where you can rightly criticize, um, like, the problems of a development team, you know, 
it, are, are sourced from like the relationship between PMs and developers. I actually went during my last job search, like one of the things that I decided was that I was no longer going to work at places where uh, my PM was my boss, because I feel I have, I've come to the conclusion in, at this, at least at this point in my career, that that's just unhealthy. If the person, cause that, that doesn't give you the opportunity to then go to your boss, right. And say, Hey, look, you know, I was set up for failure this time. Right. Cause if, if the PM is your boss, then that you just, you're, you have to hope that they're awesome. And I, I just, I don't know. At this point, I'm just not, not okay with that. I've had too many cases where PM being my boss just means that, you know, I just get set up for failure all the time. And then, and then I'm just living with the difficult decision of whether I should leave now or not, you know? Yeah. This gets into a lot of, I think, discussion around what the role of the PM is and what makes a good PM. And I don't know that we have time for that, but it definitely matters. And the better information they can get you and the better information you can get them, the better off you are. But yeah, they, they definitely have to be in a, in a position to be a team player. And if things don't go right, not create an adversarial relationship, right? Um, where you have outlets. You know, if, if you have a problem with your boss, you need an outlet. If you have a problem with PM, you need an outlet. If you have a problem with team member, you need an outlet. And good organizations kind of have those release valves where you can go and get some of these problems at least discussed, if not solved. You know, I think the most problems that I have with product managers and product owners is that they do not fight for the product. They either fight only for the team or they fight only for management, but not the product. And ultimately, everyone suffers for that because the product is junk. Because we need new features. We need new features right now. Instead of, why don't we address the technical debt? So you have two sides screaming that we need this, we need this. And then ultimately, the PM or PO, whoever it is, who's in charge of the product, is taking one side or another because they just don't want to have to deal with that backlash that the other is going to cause. Mm. That That is an easy trap to fall into, though, because... Unless your PM is connected directly to your users and your users are uh, sort of crying out or calling out to them where the issue is, right? Because your users are the ultimate product. What's the word? Like they're going to be the ultimate product. Yeah, but they're going to be the ultimate advocate too because they're the ones that are in it every dang day. Whereas, you know, your support team and folks like that, they will advocate some, but it's filtered through their experience supporting the application. And so, yeah, your your PMs are kind of put in the middle of that. And if they don't have that direct feedback or they don't have access to it, then, yeah, what happens is whoever's talking to them is coloring whatever the situation is. And so then they advocate for whichever group is causing them the most pain instead of for the consumer at the end of the day. So authorization. Yeah, we kind of deviated, but I think it was productive. And I think it's something that people really need to think through. Absolutely. I, I'm not upset. I just felt like we were winding yeah. down. Yeah, we are. Um, do we have any kind of like unifying message for this episode? I, I actually had one more thing on authorization that was, do it. was a separate thing. So we talked about like some of the things that you can just drag into your Rails app, right? Like some of the gems that are out there. There's actually services out there as well. Uh, I think that's the thing that, you know, people should be aware of. The uh, only one that I've ever tried to implement was Auth0. I know there's other ones out there. There's like Okta, things like that, right? Where basically you 
you're using one of these you're using this outside service to handle like authentication possibly some authorization things like that right so there's different levels of it i i don't know that i i'm not advocating for it i just felt like we should at least mention that they exist i would say for authentication sure you could use a outside service like auth0 but not for authorization that belongs in your application and I think that if you try to extract that from your application to a third-party source, even if it's within your own company, you're going to have a bad time. You, the single source of truth for authorization needs to be within your application. And if you want to have a user interface for your authorization outside of your application, that's fine. But the single source of truth is always your application. I think my understanding of is that you would still, I mean, you'd still have to integrate it into your application, even if you use something like Auth0, right? I think what something like Auth0 ends up being is like the storage point for your permissions and the place where people go to like, you know, give people permissions, if that makes sense. But at the end of the day, when you're rendering a page, in your application, you still have to interpret those permissions to decide if uh, you're going to display something or not display it. So I, I feel like it's kind of a little mixed there. Yeah. And the main issue I see with that, authentication is going to happen one time at the beginning of your session. Authorization happens many times throughout a single request and your entire session. So if you do store them externally, then you run into a situation where you can't make 30 calls just to display your dashboard on what someone has access to. So what, you go, what you're going to end up doing is you're going to start caching that using Redis or something. Well, what happens when that cache becomes stale? Are you staling it properly? Is it fetching it properly? What if the authentication side is working so people can get into your application, but they have an issue on the authorization side. What are you going to do then? Your customers who are paying to have access to your software now can't do anything because a third-party service like that is down. Yeah, I mean, these are all like yeah. problems that happen, right? Like, uh, yeah. I, I definitely, yep. I feel like the use case where you would use a third-party authentication or authorization service boils down to you specifically don't want to handle this and you are willing to make the trade-off, right? That you're now relying upon a third party. And and the whole idea that that you specifically don't want to handle this, you still have to handle a portion of it. So you can't dump it all off onto the third party, no matter what. Yeah. Yep. You know, just to kind of reminisce a old story at a previous employer, we built a authentication solution. They said, no. You're not going to do that. We already have the users and the passwords. We're going to do single sign-on. Well, it was a timekeeping application, so users were clocking in and out. So for a given company, you had 1,000 employees. You had 1,000 employees logging into this application three, four times a day. The SSO died on our other application that we were hosting. Users could not log in now. So that spun up a whole issue of, Holy crap. Yeah, payroll HR software, people log in maybe once a month. They don't log in every single day, multiple times a day. Maybe we shouldn't be hosting, 
you know, this application's authentication solution. Maybe we should provide some way for them to actually log into this other application. So then we started offering username and passwords, or you could do SSO. You could get into your application either way. I think having one single point of failure is just a bad business practice. And unfortunately, a lot of businesses choose to go that route. Sweet. Yep. I was going to say, I don't know if I have anything to add. So let's go new picks. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Dave, do you want to start us off? I would, man. But, you know, honestly, I'm going to pick sleep. We just had our fourth baby and she's actually (laughs) really good. So take naps, get sleep, get rest. Just, you know, don't burn out because burnout's real. And you can really find yourself hating the things that you love doing because you're not getting enough rest. Oh, and driftandruby.com is pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely go check that out. I'm a paid subscriber, so you should be too. Yeah, and just to pile on that a little bit, I had one of those days. I call them my everything is stupid day where I don't even want to deal with the people I really like. And yeah, that was me this morning, right? So uh, sleep, definitely. I did. I just, I didn't even check in with work. I just slept in and I felt so much better when I was done sleeping for a couple more hours. So yeah. John, do you have some picks? So I am literally... We're waiting for our baby to come out right now. We are we're in the zone. Basically, our we're like three weeks before the due date, which is when our first kid came out. And since yeah, so we're expecting it, you know, anytime. So we will soon be needing the sleep thing. But the the actual pick that I have, I don't remember if I actually already picked this, but it's been so awesome that I don't really care. But I got this sweet Logitech webcam, which you know, webcams are mostly what they are and this one (laughs) now that webcams have come back down in price like i feel like you can actually be picky again but this one's just like awesome it's got like super awesome video and unlike i mean it's better than my macbook webcam that's like probably the easiest thing for me to say is like it handles like uh, like my macbook webcam i have to turn in turn on like all the lights in my room in order for people to see me even though like there's plenty of light for me to see, you know, during the day. Whereas this webcam, like I can, I mean, it still, it still shows me reasonably well, even with like no light at all. There we go. Even with no light at all. So, you know, just the light from my screen is enough for this thing. So it's pretty great. And uh, yeah, it's just like high quality video and it was only a hundred something bucks. So it's not nice. It's much better than when I was finding these cheap cameras in May for like 400 bucks but that's because you know we were all just suddenly remote and they ran out of webcams so yeah we got some of the webcams that they were selling to were just absolute junk yep i've been pretty happy with it i set it up on like not a tripod but like a little i don't know bendy snake thing that i attached to Uh my desk and uh and then that bendy snake thing came with like a light which you know i can use like when i'm in meetings and stuff so and you know, I want to make sure that I have reasonably good lighting without blinding myself. So all in all, very happy with it. And I think if if I have already recommended it, I probably recommended it like the day that I got it. And it's gotten even better since then. Yeah. What's the it's now like number? 88 bucks for this one. Is it the C920? Uh, C920X. Sweet. Those are pretty nice. Nice. Yep. 
I also see a ring light in, in your glasses. So, yeah, that is the the light that I'm talking about. Is, is oh, it comes light, with so. the ring light. Okay. No, nope. Bought the ring light separate. That's the snaky thing. The snaky thing. Oh, right. Ring light. Yep. So yep. if I still have my ring light in a year, maybe I'll recommend it. But I'm, I just, I don't know how to tell the difference between a good ring light and a bad ring light yet. A good ring light, the Elgato ring light. Those are really nice. <laughs> I'm sure. They're not cheap, but they are really nice. Yes, yes. Yeah. I got some ring lights on a Black Friday sale at uh, Walmart. They were like 20 bucks a piece. And they're okay. One thing that I figured out is uh, given my hairstyle, and that hairstyle is styled with a razor, not a comb. <laughs> yeah, it's styled with a razor, not a comb. Just because otherwise I, I get the the clown ring is what I call it, you know, where you have it above your ears and around the back of your head. Um, so I avoid the clown ring and I just say shave the whole thing off. Um, I tend to wash out on the top of my head, especially since I'm standing more or less directly under the ceiling light in my room, which is one of those big uh, round lights. I have another term for them that my wife uses, but uh, I'll be polite and not share it. But anyway, so it's it's got one of those big round lights up there. And so like the top of my head with the glare, it just blends into the white um, wall behind me. And so I've actually had to get blackout curtains. I'll just pick those. Um, I got a curtain rod of blackout curtains off of Amazon. And it's been pretty nice. Because, um, yeah, I walk into my office in the middle of the day. And, yeah, there's some light leakage around the sides. Because, I mean, sorry, it's not perfect. If you want it perfect, you have to find something that you can actually just stuff into your window, right? But it's good enough, right? I can't see in my office without the light on, even in the during the day. But then I can use the ring lights and turn off the light above me. And it gives me a nice, it lights me up nicely. I do have some of the, I have some of the LED lights that are the square lights. And those are also pretty nice. So I can kind of get a nice balance of light on me for that. And I have been doing videos for the DevRev. So if you go check out thedevrev.com, I'm actually going to start publishing. I've already recorded about 10 episodes, um, but I'm going to start publishing those next week. And uh, I'm putting them up on YouTube as well so people can find them there. And it's mostly around the idea that I have for this mastermind. And that's what the dev uh, devchat.tv slash next level is about is I want to know where people are at in their careers and what they want. And then I can talk about how to get there because I've gotten almost everything I want for my career from doing podcasts. And so I just kind of want to walk people through, okay, you want to make more money, you want to meet more people, you want to meet influencers, you want to speak at conferences, all this stuff kind of comes out of doing the extracurricular activities of having a dev career. And so I'll walk you through that as well as how to stay current and how to know what's going on in the community and stuff like that. Because that's also just as important, right? How to build tech skills and people skills and work skills. So there's a lot to it. And that's what the DevRev is about. Um, And I named it the DevRev because um, I feel like now I'm rambling, but I'm going to ramble about this for a minute because I love it. And it's it's exciting for me is that um, people kind of get this idea that they just show up at their job. And after three years, they become a mid-level. And after five years, they become a senior developer. And then they just kind of hang out at senior developer until whenever. And I find that some people get disillusioned by that. Other people, they just start showing up to punch the clock. And I'm sorry, but software development is cool. And it's fun. And there's so much more you can do with it. 
um, you know, contributing to open source. If you want to just stay on the technical side, uh, it's just an example of that, right? Sharing what you know, stuff like that. I mean, it. there's so much you can do with it. And so I want to kind of stage this developer revolution where people go, and that's the DevRev, the developer revolution, where you say, okay, well, I'm going to free myself from whatever expectations I have about being a developer in a full-time job, and I'm going to go and actually get what I want, right? So if you want to speak at the conferences, well, how do I, how do, I do that? How do I parlay what I know and what I can do into speaking at conferences? I want to be well-recognized, so maybe you start a podcast or a YouTube channel or you know, you start drifting elixir or something, right? So how do you do that, right? How do you stay current? How are the people that I admire, you know, doing what they're doing? Well, I've talked to them, I know them, and I know what it takes. So that's what I'm trying to put together is a program where we get together every week, and we talk about where you're at, talk about where you're, where you're trying to get, and then help you work your way up to that. So that then it's like, well, you know, I wish I had more time freedom. And that means that I need to make more money. And so if I were a little bit better known in the community then I could go to my boss and I could say, look, I'm pretty sure I could make $30,000 more a year over here, but I want to stay here, right? So you can parlay that into a, a raise, or maybe you go get that other job that's going to pay you $30,000, dollars $50,000 a year more. And then you have the time freedom to go take the vacations with your kids because they give you the time off you need, or they pay you enough to where, um, you know, you can kind of buy some freedom as far as like home maintenance and cleaning and all that other stuff, right? And then you can take your kids to the movies on the weekends and crap like that, you know, or maybe it's, I want to <clears throat> promote this open source work that I'm doing because I think it's important. You know, all, all of that comes out of the same kind of mindset. And so, yeah, I, I'm trying to help people create that. So anyway, um, so the devrev.com, that's where I'm putting that up. And yeah, I'll, I'll put links to the curtain rod was like 12 bucks, 15 bucks, I think. And the curtains were another like 15, 20 bucks. And it just totally blacks out my room, which is great. And then I'll put a link to the the lights that I have. They're the newer N-E-E-W-E-R lights. And I have the barn doors on them so that I can direct the light. But yeah, really nice stuff. And uh, I'm going to be doing more video for sure. Going to creating be creating uh, courses around a lot of this stuff and just helping people free themselves from these stupid expectations and help them realize that you really can't have what you want as a developer if you're willing to put in the right kind of work. All right. Well, enough of me rambling. This is fun. All right. All right. Max out, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.